We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers fell 116 to 99 in Game 5 in Memphis, bringing the series with the Lakers having a 3-2 lead back to Los Angeles. Uh, it was a game that in... You know, all my decades of watching, uh, and, and we talked about this a little bit in the preview for the game, that that was a game I would have been very surprised if the Lakers won the energy battle and very much seemed to me a lot like the way that the Miami Heat won their game five. Unbelievable eight seed winning in five games. I don't think that's ever happened before in a seven game series. Those are games where when you're up three one, Mike, you kind of want to hang around, see if you can steal it at the end. And Despite their uh, in the first half at the end of the first quarter, AD goes out, Lakers go down by double digits, then bring it back to nine. And at halftime, I'm feeling like, all right, it could be worse. It's nine. We're still in contact. Lakers bring it down to one. D'Angelo Russell starts the third quarter off. Great. Lakers playing really well just as a team overall, made some defensive adjustments uh, and then bring it down to a one point game. Then a 26 to two run spanning the end of the third and beginning of the fourth puts the game away lakers lose they don't fold up shop until the very end and i thought they got some good work done in terms of some adjustments and some things that we might see in game six uh but you were there mike curious about your thoughts about the mood of the team how'd it go well this is the time of the year and the time of the playoff series really uh, which game five and on this is when the stars really earn their money uh, this is the differentiating fact because mm. you're not typically at this point, you're not going to out scheme somebody. You're not going to, you've already seen all of the looks. And so how do you score against a loaded defense? How do you, it's the stars, like wh which guys have the capability to still get what they need to get done, no matter what the other team is doing. And that's a lot of times how these things get broken down. And Anthony Davis, as we were talking about yesterday, he had to be, he had to have a really good offensive game. Um, and he did. He had 31 on 14 of 23 from the field. I thought he could have gone to the foul line more. He was not getting uh, the best whistle and uh, you know, neither was LeBron, although all series, yeah. Mike, and, and that's all series. Just so we're clear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's been part of it. So, but the real swing player in this game was LeBron. Uh, and I thought that 
early, like you mentioned, the energy, Pete, that was something that no, no question, like Memphis was going to come out with the energy that the Lakers were just going to have to try to hang in. And they did. And they get they do it with despite LeBron not really having great legs. But I did think that he used his legs to try and at least be more solid defensively um, than he was earlier in the series. Mm -hmm. But the fact that LeBron had so was so limited and his driving. And, and I think that that was on, that was, you know, by design, um, he took, let's see, he took nine threes and eight shots in the paint. And some of those were in sort of like the mid paint. And I think that two things, one, when Darwin took AD out kind of in the middle of the, the Lakers run, I thought that was a, that was kind of a pivot point and Memphis quickly responded and scored at the rim. But part of the reason is because LeBron, I think that LeBron knowing how the whole series is going to play out, there's a part of him that that just not like not that he's conserving by any means because he's always going until empty. But I, I just think that there's going to be something else there that he can call upon in his legs in game six that was going to be very difficult to do in game five. And yeah. the role players around LeBron and AD, that's a tough game for those kind of guys. It, that's just a, when you're not getting any physical advantage, when you're not going to get calls, when the other team is is going to you know play with that level of desperation. Um, they would have needed. And I thought, by the way, like, hey, let's say AD stays in the third quarter, then maybe LeBron can summon nine minutes, you know, sure. to really make a good run. But ultimately, I don't think that was the that even taking AD out was the difference. Like, I think that it was LeBron's legs as the second half went on Memphis continuing to go. And it's Bain and Morant, like both attacking with all of that fervor uh, from the perimeter and all of those perimeter attacks and assaults. Those mm -hmm. those are hard to continue to meet. Um, but I, I do think that the the Lakers will respond on Friday, but let's stick on this game for now uh, and, and get to what you guys saw when you were watching. So I agree that LeBron was the pivot player where I disagree a little bit with what you said, Mike was what you said at the beginning where like, you're not going to out scheme the other team. I do think Memphis continues to fight in, in this yes. series. Yeah. In this series, it's happened a, a little bit with the rotation and the way that they're playing second units against the same Laker second unit that hasn't been working. So I'm to me, that's more rotation and personnel than scheme. But but yeah, go on. The rotation stuff is definitely there from a schematic point. And, and Pete, before we got on you, you had mentioned that you did a pretty um, deep dive rewatch so so i'm interested to get some of your thoughts around this because i have not been able to rewatch the game to to this point but i think memphis continues to tweak their screen actions and finding ways to get bane loose and i thought and maybe you'll you'll refute this a little bit but i thought what they were also doing a little bit more of was not bringing as many screens to jaw Yep. And letting Jaw create in isolation more rather than bringing a defend a second defender in to the mix that could challenge him, particularly Anthony Davis. I thought that those two things in tandem were like little adjustments that I don't want to say they caught the Lakers off guard, but the Bane stuff has has been a continuous tweak and tweak and tweak over the last two or three games to sort of get him in to a rhythm. And he is squarely in a rhythm now. But the stuff with Jaw, I was just like, oh man, there's no screen coming. And he's just attacking Dennis. Or there's no screen coming and he's just attacking whoever's in front of him. Like, Or they were doing guard to guard screens and they were getting him 
onto D'Lo and then they weren't bringing up another screen and he was just attacking D'Lo. And I thought these were just little things where it's just like schematically, those things were different from what they were two games ago and they worked. They worked a great effect. And to be fair, we were doing that too. We did some really cool high-low stuff. I loved how we got the ball to AD in this game and the 23 shot attempts I think are reflective of that, right? That um, The way that when Vando is in the game, they use uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. to guard, quote-unquote, Vando, but to help hard off of him. And then they're helping recover. They're one of the very best teams in the league at like off-ball defense rotations, closeouts to the three-point line. That help defense aspect of the game, they're really good at that. And so... Um, the Lakers moved some action into the middle of the court and Vanderbilt was like flashing to the free throw line. And then, uh, we were getting AD as a back cutter cause they're top locking him, right? Like this whole chess match has been happening on, on both ends of the floor. And even in the fourth quarter, the thing that you said about Ja and them setting fewer screens for him, we started to shadow him with like, it would be Austin on the ball, but it'd be D'Lo basically playing in his zone behind him, uh, and, or vice versa, depending on who was, uh, the on ball player in that respect. Um, and so I have a whole list of things that will start the second half of the pod of just like, these are just topics I'd love to hit over the next couple of days before the next pod. But to me, like the, the top line item is just, you can't get your butts kicked in that in such a small amount of time to where you completely lose the rope, Mike. Like we were right there. And then we looked up, we had a little uh, watch party event uh, for, for the team at a hotel bar and we're watching, we're having a good old time. High five and Lakers down one. Let's go. And I swear it was like five minutes later. It was like, damn, we are down 16 points right now. And so that to me, Mike well, is, yeah, is the headline like 20, item. 20 to two run or whatever it was. I think it was 26 two eventually. 20, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just kept building. It was 19 to two to close the quarter, Mike. And exactly. it went from a one point game to a 17 point game. Well, that's what, so this is the, this is the other part that I feel like sometimes it's hard to convey because it like being there and being in some of these other games. And I think that this is how Memphis fans probably felt watching the various Laker complete blitzkriegs that have happened these teams are both good enough and they both have enough that if, if there's any amount of let up, even for a minute, that's yeah. the dam does break right away. It just does. And, and that's kind of what I meant. So there are adjustments. Like the Lakers had a couple of their own. They adjusted the way that they were playing Bane um, for a little bit. And that yeah, got Memphis out of, out of mm-hmm. what they were doing. And then they made a counter adjustment, but ultimately all of that stuff, which is significant. And I know we're going to get to it, but like the it just it doesn't go past that first factor, which was that LeBron did not have legs. Um, he was one for nine from three. He was he's two for his sorry he's three for his last I think like twenty six or seven now, and I might be forgetting the one of the late ones. It might even be up to twenty eight. And mm-hmm. what does that tell us? Legs. He's only driving in certain strategic spots, like at the end of game five when they absolutely needed it. And he was not getting elevation on those drives, which is why he had to lay the ball so high off the glass against JJJ. And he went into Tillman and not JJJ was the second defender who came over on the, on the overtime drive. Uh, Cause if that's JJJ that, you know, that that's a little bit, well, actually Dylan Brooks was so bad in that play that it was all good. Cause he would have just gotten to the free throw line. Cause Brooks right. let him get his shoulder around him. But like that, that was the one thing. And then it's just the role players on one side versus the role players on the other. Uh, and like the atmosphere that the Lakers are going to have that is flipped now going back to game six, just like it was in game five. And and that's, mm-hmm. I guess that's my ultimate point out of this. Like the, 
the Lakers have put themselves in position to be able to just win one home game because they got that first one um, in Memphis. And then they held serve when a lot of times it's really difficult to beat a good team two in a row at home. This game, like I, I'm curious, Pete, what some of your top line items are, but I just, I really going into it. I was talking to one of the coaches about 45 minutes before it started and exactly kind of what we were discussing is what ended up happening. You know, it's like, well, let's see how LeBron's moving in the first quarter. What are, what are those legs looking like? And how, how efficient is AD the rest of the guys like could Austin have made a couple more of his, he was four for 13, right? Russell was four for 11 Rui four for eight, but he made his first two and then struggled from that point on Schroeder only got two shots up. Beasley somehow got six threes up. A lot of them were late in garbage time. And, but, but like all of that stuff to me is, is uh, if LeBron is at a different level physically, even by a 10%, then those shots become more open that, the, that those guys have. And because he's able to force his will on the, on the game that he wasn't, he just wasn't going to do um, in that game five based on, on a number of factors. So um that's that's just what it felt like to to oversimplify things. And now I think there there are things around that, such as Anthony Davis playing 43 minutes or 44 minutes, which I pointedly asked about after the game instead of 35 that solve a lot of those problems and the home crowd. But I know there are several other things uh, to get to, Pete. Well, I think that the the whole like idea of LeBron in man in managing the totality of the series, there's a certain ebb and flow to it that it doesn't just apply to LeBron, right? Like if the Lakers are down three, one right now, I bet your ass Anthony Davis playing 42, 44 minutes, right? Even a Dennis Schroeder, right? Uh, to right. a lesser yeah. degree, you're so dependent upon him for really great on ball defense D that, and, and, that is, I think, one of the factors in this series is fatigue, right? And how well the Lakers can manage that. I always think back to the Kobe dunk on uh, Emeka Okafor in the 2012 playoffs when Lakers were down 1-0 in the series against the Hornets. Chris Paul led Hornets. Uh, CP3 was young at the time. Kobe was not. And we were down by like eight in the second quarter, down 1-0 in the series against a team that was, you know, I think they were the six seed or seven seed. And Kobe drove down the lane and dunks on Okafor, really changes the momentum of the game. And then in the aftermath, he says, I have a certain number of bullets left to fire. I cannot fire all of them the way that I did when I was younger. And that, that was how I looked at that game in a certain way. I would love for our team to be in a position where they can bring the heat every single night, even when up 3-1 and close it out, D. But I do think that there is a... They had a luxury of being able to try to win a game at at a lower in a lower gear to a degree, but when you have that many guys in that type of mode, you're not. It's not going to happen. Just Darius to kick this to you. One quick way that we saw that is that Memphis did extend the minutes to the starters. So the Lakers mm-hmm. bench had 80 minutes. The Memphis bench played 60 minutes, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a big difference. It just is. That's a because two more minutes of Anthony Davis probably is worth what. Four points, you know, five points, like like maybe more. And as and then two more minutes on top of that is worth how much? And just Malik Beasley playing 11 minutes and D'Lo playing 30 minutes. Okay, so or uh, that's that's the stuff that I think switches in game six. Memphis has to keep playing those guys that many minutes that their starters were all like JJJ 38, Bain 43, Ja 38. So I think that's one major simple adjustment that is just simply playing your guys and especially Anthony Davis more um, in game six. No, these are all excellent points, right? For me, 
And I think when we start to dive more into potential adjustments or what Memphis was doing and then forecasting to game six, I'm all for that discussion. I'm still on game five a little bit because the Lakers were down one point and there were four minutes left in the third quarter and they had the momentum. And I thought the decision to take out Anthony Davis was a defensible decision. I thought the decision to take out Anthony Davis and replace him was with Troy Brown was not a defensible decision. Yeah. And I get the idea of, of consistency and sticking to the guys who, who have you like who you've played and trying to leverage the game a certain way. And it's easy to judge back in hindsight that something didn't work. And so we can then pick it apart. Um, in the moment though, and in game four, Five especially, I thought going to Wenyon the way that they did in the first half and then going to Wenyon as they did in the fourth quarter, those minutes proved to be like fairly effective and way more of a like, oh, this seems reason like this group seems like a reasonable group against the group that Memphis was playing. I just thought at the portion of the game and the players that were in for Memphis for the Lakers to downsize to the degree that 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 they did, it created problems. So AD goes out at the 410 mark and he comes back two minutes later. But by that point, Memphis had already seized control back of the game. So it was a one point game. And then when AD comes back in, I think it was back up to to eight or nine at that point. So mm-hmm. Memphis had gone on a little mini run. Yep. And then once AD came back into the game, he came back in with D'Lo. And it just continued. Jaw got downhill a little bit more. He had a really nice righty scoop finish around a contest that AD had. But the portion of the game that AD was subbed out John Morant was still in the game. Desmond Bain was in the game. Jaron Jackson Jr. was in the game. And Luke Kennard was in the game. And that was the most spaced out group that the Grizzlies have played. Like, that's their spacing group. That's the group that creates driving angles and makes it very hard to cover all of these screen actions because you're just spread way too thin, which... Makes rim pro- and you have a ton of force on the basket with Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr. involved in that too, and it's no coincidence that this they play that group against the non AD group, right? There's multiple ways to win a game, and you can blitz that group, and that, that's the thing, D, is that to survive the non AD minutes, we have to play credible defense. We can't let them score nearly every single possession, which is pretty much what they do when AD comes off of the the floor. And so the idea that like one of the things that I'm slightly concerned about for game six is we had, we had an interesting Lonnie Walker substitution toward the end of that game. And my biggest concern is that they're going to be like, Oh, like we need to go to Lonnie instead of Malik, right. Or Lonnie instead of Troy. And it's like, no, the group is too small, like by a lot lot relative to the amount of force that Memphis can put on the basket. The interesting thing about the way that this series has gone is that in games one, two, and three, the the Lakers basically were not surviving the non-AD minutes at all. Mm-hmm. They just weren't. There was literally one group that had a positive plus minus of all of the LeBron Rui groups without AD on the court. There was literally one group that had a positive plus, plus, minus, and they were a plus one mm. out of all of it's the groups. It's been bad. 
that that had played. In game four, that switched. And that group found something. There was an elixir that happened in that single game. It's not, but that's the thing is it's not, it's not an elixir. It's very, it's very simple to me. They gang rebounded. If you're going to, it's the, that principle of, if you're going to be smaller, you got to fly around, right? And this was not a fly around game, this game five right here. If you aren't going to fly around and have that sort of mentality or that, that juice, which is understandable for, you know, in terms of being, doing that every single game, every single moment, like you can, you have to be bigger. You cannot be small and have the other team like have a, a degree of play with a greater degree of force. Let me jump in on that, though, because this is this is also once again, NBA history. Uh, th- this is like why the room is 10 feet tall. And in the postseason, if you don't have somebody credibly protecting the basket and and clearing rebounds. But who is playing center in those groups? It's LeBron and then sometimes Rui. And I think this is it all goes back to that original point, LeBron's legs. LeBron didn't have the legs on his jump shot in game five, but he had 20 rebounds. Yep. And that was because LeBron knew that with that group, he had to be the one at that spot yep. that was going to clear the glass. And so Memphis, all of Memphis is talking points. You know, I've been at all the Taylor Jenkins press conferences and so on. Like the, the glass was the number one thing that they talked about after game mm-hmm. five and especially with that unit. So they hit that. And that's where like LeBron was not going to have the legs for that. And the other guys are just that this is the point of why from the from that I don't understand and haven't understood the whole series, the lineup around that. Other than to say that I think LeBron likes being at the five in those groups because he then doesn't have to switch out on the perimeter as much. And he can do some degree of quarterbacking or like kind of playing free safety or middle linebacker, whichever football terminology you want to use. And he can sort of direct and point and you go here, you switch there. I'm going to stay home here because he can conserve some legs that way. But then they're going to lose what they could get if, say, Wenyan were in instead of either Malik or Troy, which is, again, we've talked about it a million times. So it's I just think that they're they're getting in the film room. And I don't know if it's LeBron that is saying it, but I get it. Like, these are the problems. But like, we'll do better on the glass with this group. Let's stay with this group. Or I don't know that but something like that has to be happening because it's not like it isn't obvious uh, that that group is getting beaten up inside. And it's the same reason why I don't buy the Kings. We've gone over this with Sabonis at the sure. five, even though he can rebound. It's the same reason I don't buy the Nuggets. Like, and, and th- those are the starters, though. But like when if those teams go to their second units, and there isn't really an answer there either with those teams. You know, Alex Len for a couple minutes for the Kings. Like, you got to have a real credible um, guy that, at, that, at that big spot. And LeBron can be that guy in pockets of time. Mm-hmm. But guys, we talked about this last year. Right. That when they were trying to go to those those small groups with LeBron back there. And it's just like with all all of this stuff said, I think that in game six, Darius, not to get off of game five, but I think you will get more of that rebounding slash if they if they again go to that lineup, which I would hope that they would use one in some if they don't. But I think that you'll get a better LeBron game from that standpoint in game six. Let's go to break here. And when we come back on the other side, I have one more quick point to make on this and then we'll get to Pete's list because it is extensive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mike, all of that is well said. From where I stand, I just thought that the group that Memphis had on the court specifically required something different. And that was the part that left me. Agree. Yep. I don't know. It just left me wanting for different decisions because you cannot play uh, a no center group against a lineup that has Jackson Jr. and John Morant on the court at the same time. To say nothing of Bain, who was also getting downhill, and then Kennard, who was basically going to space you out and leave one less sort of help defender to lurk in. I guess I want to hit some of the topics of, there's a storyline that plays out in the back and forth of every playoff series, especially, you know, a well-coached one. And this is a And so these are just like the little things that I see happening. Consider this as a list of topics, right? So we'll start with the good. I have different categories on this. The good is the main group was great once again. It's I I haven't looked up the numbers, but the D'Lo, Austin, Rui, LeBron, AD crew, uh, you could throw Vando in there as well was really, really good. Um, and so as much as we're talking about the non-AD minutes, the groups where they had their main guys out there, uh, and this speaks to the, Mike's point of like, you know, if you extend the minutes, just that simply solves a lot of stuff. Um, I, like I said earlier, I loved how we got AD uh, the ball more with Vando out on the court. The AD minutes, like the Lakers have been better, period. There's better. Oh, by a lot. By the a AD lot. minutes, period. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, Wenyon, I thought Wenyon defended Jaron Jackson Jr. decently well. Like, he's going to get some activity wins when he guards him. Um, Wenyon also beats the hell out of size mismatches. He had gotten switched on to Luke Kennard, or basically Luke Kennard had the drop-down responsibility on him. He got an and one off of an action where Austin was setting a ball screen for LeBron. And then it was one more pass, and it was, like, up to Kennard to drop down and Wenyon sealed Kennard beautifully and just like Wenyon's really good at that. If you've got a smaller guard or somebody that has to drop down on a play, he will win that battle most of the time. Uh, I love Delo's flurry to start the third quarter and just he has these little flurries that are super helpful in playoff games, just timing wise, where it was like, oh, well, we're back in the game, right? Just in a blink of an eye in 90 seconds and all of it's thanks to Delo. Um, so now the bad. Uh, I think LeBron is searching for what he can rely on on offense. I agree with the general point about the legs. I just don't think that that's the only thing going on. And, and, you know, he's not, I don't think he's feeling particularly good about his jumper. He's, 
I think he's searching for like go-to type of action. So I'm super curious about- Our jumper and, jumper and legs are the same thing to me. No, 100%, 100%. What I'm saying though is like, how do I get to my shot? Like what is my most reliable go-to this? I think we're going to get the answer to what LeBron believes is that in game six. And we'll see how it works. But the point is that I think he's been searching for it. Austin had an awful game, I thought, uh, especially on the defensive end. Um, and he's been struggling on defense on not just in a legs type of sense, but he's been kind of losing his guy, having difficulty navigating more complicated screens. Um, the You brought this up a little bit earlier, D, of Ja not getting a screen. They started like driving him across the paint and elevating in a way that was like, ooh, that's a good little adjustment rather than attacking toward the basket. It also gives Ja the ability to, if he doesn't like what he has, he can veer off and continue the play. Whereas if you start at the top of the key and you hit the gas the way that Ja can, it's like, the end of the play is going to happen. He's going to attack the basket, right? So uh, that those kind of like horizontal ac- across the floor drives from Ja, I thought were really helpful. Um, then, yeah, Troy does not want to shoot. He passed up a couple of shots, and every three that he's getting is has been rough. Um, Austin was forcing things on offense as well. Beasley and Rui were both really rough uh, in terms of their off-ball defense. Um we went under on Kennard and Bain a few times where it was like, yeah. ah. I think part of that's a legs thing too. Cause like, unlike Vogel's system, the defensive guards would always go over the top in that, in this system, the guard has kind of a choice to yeah. do that. But Kennard and Bain, you can't be going under on them. We talked about the small lineups and like LeBron in a drop. For me, it's a bigger thing of like, we don't have a too big look to go to. Like that was nothing that was ever cultivated over the course of the season. Um, yeah. And so I would have, it just, I think that's going to bite us at some point, like not even having the option really, or, or like having built it out to any degree. Rui played five minutes in the first half. Now, Darvin does this thing where he'll play a guy less that he wants to close with in the first half. He does this with Austin too, where like you look at halftime, it's like Austin played nine minutes in the first half or 10 minutes. And then at the end of the game, he'll be like at 25, 28, because he played almost the entire second half. And so he's been doing that with Rui too, but that's just way too severe, right? The five minutes of that. That was because he got three fouls uh, in the first half. But I, you know, I don't think that that's a, for a sub, I don't think that's something to worry about as much, but that's why he pulled him out quickly. Uh, No, that's fair. Thank you. And thank you for, for bringing that up. I, yeah. On the general Topic, just we need to tread water in the non-80 minutes. We've talked about that. Um, and then and then, and then, then lastly, we have a lot more cards to play, right, in terms of adjustments, whether it's lineups, whether it's, you know, schemes. We, there's a lot of things that we can do. But the main thing to me, D, is like, should Beasley and Troy Brown Jr. be in the rotation going forward? Darvin uh, alluded to this a little bit, right, that he may – have to shorten the rotation a little bit. And those are the spots that really stand out to me because just in a general sense, like Troy looks scared to shoot and Beasley doesn't, Beasley makes a, a ton of mistakes and doesn't actually make the higher leverage shots very often. So anyway, that's my comprehensive list of topics I'd love for us to hit over the next couple of days. Yeah. If I could just throw out a few numbers around the idea of the, um, that core group that you discussed, Pete. Please. So the starting lineup has played 70 minutes together. They are plus 20 in those 70 minutes. The swap out Vando for Rui. So LeBron, Rui, AD, D'Lo, and Austin, that group is a plus 24 in only 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just a massive, massive discrepancy there. The 18 like, minutes uh, is the part that it's like, actually, that's your best group. And yes. Yeah. And then 
swap out D'Lo for Dennis and swap mm-hmm. out Vando for Rui. So this is LeBron, AD, Dennis, Rui, and Austin. So that's probably your best defensive group overall, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right? That group has played 17 minutes and they're a plus six, right? And so three of the Lakers' top four minutes-wise lineups are all in the positive and are winning their minutes. The second most played group, though, has played... 21 minutes and that's the non-ad group of lebron dennis beasley troy and Rui, and that group is a minus 10 in 21 minutes and that group to me is the one that hits multiple points within your like general and bad portions of like your things right and the question about malik and troy continuing to hold down a rotation spot I'm of the mind that only one of them should play. I've been of that mind, and I think that one of them should be swapped out for Wenyon. I just think continuing to play small with that group is just a difficult choice. There's also the option to just tighten your rotation to eight. You know, like playing 10 at this point is actually fairly unusual. There, Yeah, there. this is another one of those things where there are two things about it. If you have a whole playoff series, I always get starting with eight, nine, see how a certain guy fits, like, you know, see if the shot's going, et cetera. But as things get tighter and as you know what the other team's going to do, inevitably you have to shorten that sum for like a a desperation game like this is going to be right with game six. So just to illustrate Troy Brown, for example, in March, Troy was taking 4.9 threes per game and hitting 2.1. That's 42%. In the postseason, he's getting maybe two shots a game, right, from three. And then maybe like if he happens to he got three layups in that were actually helpful uh, in the OT win. But he's just not. So not only is he not in rhythm or even close to it, but he doesn't have the confidence to go up and and drain that one shot that he might get. And and so every single time he goes up for it, it's all of the pressure of all this happens. And, And for Beasley, he's he's kind of the same. Except his volume is more like typically seven. And now it's three or four. And he's Pete, you've talked about this. Like Beasley's not a knockdown shooter if he's just wide open, that he's not like Luke Kennard where, Oh, you leave him. Oh shit. Right. That's a make. Yeah. You know, it's like, he's got to get up. So where is their utility then? Essentially it's like, can you give a little bit of versatility and size or can you go over and defend some guards for a little bit and just not screw things up for a while? And in that, in a game like this in game six, when again, I've already projected AD by asking AD and Darwin about it to, to get up to, Anywhere between 42 and 48 minutes, LeBron's going to be playing a ton. Um, Austin's going to be playing a ton. D'Lo and Dennis between them. So whoever else is getting minutes, it's going to be low. They're not going to get a lot of shots. Those shots are not going to be that open, most likely, um, because there aren't going to be that many shots, period. So I just think like this this game six, um, you absolutely shorten the rotation. And another reason why I'll just advocate for Wenyan, and even in a game like this, if it's for six minutes as opposed to six Troy minutes, he he doesn't have to shoot like that. He just what he can do, just give some size, go grab a couple rebounds, you know, put your arms out. That to me in a game like this is it has more utility than uh, than a wing that isn't feeling that comfortable right now in the spacing that's not going to be there anyway. Uh, if if that if that player is out there, if I could talk real quick about 
uh, a few of the defensive minutes from Wenyan, and we made an adjustment on Bain. There's a reason I brought him up in the last pod. I thought they really found something, and he had 21 first half points. At halftime, D, Lakers adjust and bring AD up higher to the level of the sc- screen. We start blitzing to a certain point, right, uh, on Bain to have him give up the ball. They counter, right? It's There's a cool little cat and mouse, but I thought the Lakers won that that adjustment and that stretch, and that's how part of the reason why the score got back down to one point, or the deficit, because Lakers were a lot better to start the third quarter, in part because of that on Bain. Wenyon gave up two drives to Bain on us on switches in the minutes that he played. However, he was pressed up too high on him. That's just a certain degree of like, you don't have to cross, you know, be guarding Bain 30 feet away from the basket. And then after those two plays where he gave up buckets, uh, and I think one was an and one, uh, after those two, it wasn't as aggressive and it was there were good minutes defensively. And so there's just like more there, but that's one of the storylines of like Bain getting hot and then the Lakers adjustments to it defensively. Wenyon can help you on the perimeter defensively in ways where it's like, if it's Wenyon and LeBron and Rui, that still allows LeBron to be that quarterback hanging out in the back without asking him to engage as, and and fly around defensively in ways that is a more difficult ask. Wenyon can guard the perimeter and that's important. My overall message about this series is that no one is winning this series on offense. The -hmm. only time that the other team is going to win the series on offense is because one of the teams decided to play too many bad defensive players. So in game five, go look at Luke Kennard's plus minus in game five and how Mm -hmm. many minutes he played. Go look at Tyus Jones's plus minus and how many minutes he played. These guys did not play a lot of minutes, and their plus-minus was terrible. One of the reasons why was because they ended up playing against that Lakers bench unit that actually did gang rebound and then played in transition and just got more early offense opportunities against defenders that aren't physically there in the way so that game Bain four, and those the, other guys are. The one we won in LA, this is the one you're talking about. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, game four. And so when the Lakers decided that, it's just like, okay, well, we're going to play lineups with Malik Beasley and Troy Brown in them. Those are, look, like, I think Troy is a fine defensive player, and I think that he's had some really good defensive moments over the course of the season, but he is not one of your best eight defensive players, or seven defensive players, I should say. So I'm advocating playing eight rotation players, and only one of them is a guy who I don't necessarily think is a top-level defender, and that's D'Angelo Russell. And so the guys I'm advocating playing are the five starters. And then I'm advocating playing Dennis, Rui, and Wenyon. And it's just like, if you're going to win this series, you're going to win it on defense. You're going to win it on the glass. And then you're going to win it in transition. And that's the path. In this series, that is the path. In other series, it may be a different path. And D'Lo may be able to get off or Dennis may be able to get downhill or we're going to run all these nifty pick and roll actions. And look, AD is going to kill this other defender who has no chance against him. Maybe that's how a different series goes. This series, the one I've been watching for five games, it's like, oh, man, the Lakers just need one more defender on the floor instead of a small player. Because they need the help on the glass and they need another body just to be a body in the paint that isn't a 6'5 guy, right? And if this sounds like a criticism that that we've leveled or that I've leveled in the past, it's because it is 
It's the same criticism that I've had pretty much all season around the lineup construction, around what lineups work and what lineups don't for this specific version of the Lakers, because their guards are not these bullish, like thick, like no, I'm built like David Roddy and Desmond Bain. They're, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. And so they need the front court support as much as they can get. Exactly. And it's Wenyon's your best option there. And if there was a player better than Wenyon, I'd be saying, like, play that dude, right? But Wenyon's the best guy, and he can actually help you on the glass, both backboards, and as just a finisher inside who can score against NBA-level big men. He can score against Xavier Tillman if Tillman is offering defensive resistance against him inside. There's just a certain level of oomph Wenyon plays with, and I just want to see it, Mike, because I think that he's been fine during this series in the limited minutes that he's gotten. Yeah. The last point I want to make, and, and this is partly, again, coming out of being in Memphis for a, a long time, um, felt like a month of my life this last a month and a week somehow. <laughs> it's just, it's a really good, tough, hard team. Uh, you know, they pushed yep. Golden State to six games last year, and they didn't have Ja um, for half of the series. The Warriors beat the Nuggets 4-1. They beat the Mavericks 4-1. They beat the Celtics 4-2. Um, same, same as they beat the Grizzlies. Like, they are, they were the number two seed despite having a bunch of different injuries and stuff going on. Jackson missed the first month of the season. Ja missed his time. They lost Adams. They lost Clark. But Tillman ends up being almost a better playoff player in some ways than Adams, who I think the Lakers could have played off the floor. Um, and another guy that could have called out and gone at Clark. I like him. I, I do like as a backup big, and I think he would have hurt Laker, the Lakers second unit. But again, to have, to just be able to go to Tillman and count on him for 35 solid minutes, defending LeBron scoring at the rim efficiently, not doing things wrong. And he's like their eighth or ninth, but eighth best player. So mm -hmm. it's just a, you know, the Lakers have, have done very well, despite a lot of things they haven't done right. Um, to get to this point and all mm -hmm. they have to do is win say all they have to do but they have to win one home game where they can throw everything at it they can throw ad who is not yeah. like ad has not looked tired to me uh, this series when his minutes have gone up he's like he's fine he's good his wind is good lebron has and we knew that going in but uh, it's just the the opportunity it's right there in front of him as good as memphis has been the lakers absolutely have enough to win this game uh, and and they should expect to do so. So uh, let's see it. Yeah, it, that's it's something that I, I think the Lakers are in a good spot, right? Like we're going to lament every little detail that we can because this is the playoffs, and I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to agonize over a sixth game against the same team uh, where we're in a 3-2 type of spot. This is great. Uh, I think the Lakers are in a good spot, but they have work to do because Memphis is good. This is a losable series. I said, said that even after game four, we go up 3-1, to one, right? And so that is something that there's work ahead. You got to treat six like seven. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we will be back tomorrow to kind of continue this pod and preview tomorrow's game a little bit more. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with 
is an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.